A reading from Paul's letter to the Philippians, chapter 3. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so, somehow, attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained all this, or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Lord, we want to praise you and thank you, Father. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the life it gives us, how it speaks to us, Lord. And I pray, Father, that as Kelly and I share now, Lord, that you might speak to us. Give each one of us what we need to hear this morning. Bless this time and use it in the name of Jesus. Amen. It's a little bit different of a format. We're actually, uh, rather than having one of us drone on for the entire time, have a bit of a shared sermon. And uh, if it's not more interesting, maybe it'll just keep you awake. We'll see how effective it is. Um, How many people know who this is? I think most people here, right? This is Albert Einstein. And if you know Albert Einstein, there's a chance, probably a decent chance, that you are at least familiar with uh, E equals MC squared, right? His great, you know, uh, his great calculation. And E stands for energy. So I naturally realize it's energy equals milk times coffee squared. At least that's for me in the morning. That's how I get my energy. Uh, Actually, it's energy equals mass times speed of light squared. And uh, some years ago, I read the biography on E equals MC squared, because I thought I ought to know a little bit more about that. There actually is a book called The Biography of E equals MC squared. And the basic idea, which I learned, which is kind of interesting, is that everything with mass has some amount of energy that that can be released from it. Right, that's part of it. Actually, it's a, the same substance of it. And you're like, well, how much energy comes from a bit of mass? You actually take that mass and multiply it by the speed of light squared. That's an enormous number. That's why we get these. Nuclear explosion, nuclear bomb. Do you know that? A nuclear bomb, they say, all you need is nine pounds of plutonium to release that. A bag of potatoes worth of plutonium... <laughs> does a nuclear bomb. That's how much energy is released. I kind of thought, boy, if we could release the energy maybe from the chair you're sitting in, do you think maybe that can get you to the moon? 
You know, can you imagine if it could explode out all that? What I've heard, though, is it's pretty darn hard to get the release the energy for most objects, so I don't think we need to live in fear at our service this morning that that might happen. Now, if you know physics at all, my guess is you realize that Garrett doesn't know much about physics. <laughs> you know, which I, I kind of take strength from that because I remember um, supposedly Albert Einstein's wife said this. I don't understand Albert's theories or his physics, but I know Albert. What did it mean? What does she mean by that? What is it she knew about Albert? What does it mean to know someone? You know, this morning we're continuing our run through the book of Philippians on our pursuit of joy. And in some ways, this is a real pinnacle in the letter because Paul is saying, if you want to pursue the joy that God wants to have for you, the, the key moment, the key most important piece is that you should pursue knowing Jesus. What does that mean exactly? I can grasp what it means to, to love, to serve, but to know. So that's some more talking this morning. What does it mean to know Jesus and how do we do that? So um, Kelly's actually going to start us off talking a little bit about where we get this idea from the passage that this is such an important idea in Philippians. Right. So our passage today comes from Paul's letter to the church in Philippi, the Philippian church. And he says there's nothing more important than knowing Christ. He actually calls everything else garbage. And what's interesting is that Paul not only makes it clear that it's important to know Christ, the most important thing to know Christ, but that this is also a goal that he has not yet obtained. He says, I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings. And he says, not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. And he goes on to say that all of us who are mature should take this view of things, should take such a view of things. So there's this idea through scripture, right, that the spiritual life is a journey. Jesus even uses kind of this birth terminology when he talks about coming to faith and being born again. And we start out as spiritual infants. Paul talks about um, when he's addressing a group of immature Christians and he talks about them as spiritual infants. He says, I gave you milk because you weren't ready for solid food. And there's this idea that we start out in this, at this baby level, and then we mature in our faith. And Paul's saying that the goal of that maturity is the growing in this knowledge of Christ. And he's driving on towards that. Now, this is, this is Paul, remember, 30 years prior to this, approximately, had this massive encounter with Jesus on the road. Bright lights fell to the ground. Jesus speaks to him. And he's spent the past three decades as a missionary preaching Christ, He's probably writing this letter from a Roman prison where he's been arrested for preaching Christ. And this Paul, who presumably is pretty far along in his spiritual journey, is saying, I want to know Christ, and I haven't obtained that, and I'm continuing to press on towards that. And one of the first things that kind of comes to me when I study this passage, and I say, I want to know Christ, I think it's such a strange phrase. Like I said, I'm more comfortable with phrases like obey, serve, even love. But no seems odd. We're able to kind of track down some of those scriptural links on that? So the theme of knowing God is all, all through the scripture. And there's some particularly interesting, um, there's a passage in Jeremiah, the Old Testament prophet Jeremiah, that says, uh, we read it as, as our call to worship, right? Let not the wise boast of their wisdom or the strong boast of their strength 
or the rich boast of their riches. Our goal shouldn't be wisdom, strength, or wealth, right? But let the one who boasts boast about this, that they have the understanding to know me, that I am the Lord who exercises kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth. For in these I delight, declares the Lord. So God, through Jeremiah, is saying that the only thing worth having is knowing me, which is the same thing that Paul is saying. Later at the end of the book of Jeremiah, he's talking about God's covenant when it's completed, and he gives this picture of what that will look like. And um, he writes, This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God, and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, Know the Lord, because they will all know me from the least to the greatest. So there's this idea that the fulfillment of God's covenant, this sort of perfection is when all of us know God. Then Jesus, talking on the same point, talks about in John seventeen three. he says, now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So there's this repeating theme of knowing God as this fulfillment of the covenant and even eternal life. It's amazing to think that Eternal life is not defined as living forever, but this quality of life that's really being defined by knowing God. And so you kind of think, what does it mean to know God? And as I've been kind of chewing that, I kind of think, well, how do we know anything? You know, if someone says, you know, I know Boston, or do you know Boston? And they say, yeah. What are they saying? You know, they say, I know Boston. You say, well, you know, maybe I know the the T system. Maybe Mm -hmm. I know the geography of it. Maybe I know where to get a good pizza. Maybe I know what Bostonians are like. I know the ethos of the city. And, uh, and you ask yourself, well, how did you get to know that? You know, what do you think? What are some ways you might get to know it? You know, might read something, get some information about it. You might talk to people. But it's kind of funny, isn't it? No matter how much you read and talk about it, if you've ever gone on, like, on a vacation, you read and do all this reading about a place, but you know it yet. Now, you don't know it until you get on the ground, yeah. until you begin to experience that place. Then all that knowledge gets transformed, and you start to really know it and understand it. And I think when it comes to, like, a city or something, there's really no end to what you can know, is it? It's a, you just know it deeper and deeper. Now, but I do think no, cities or things are somewhat defined. What about people? That's a little bit more complex, isn't it? Someone asks you, you know, do you know that person? How do you usually respond? You might say, no, I don't know them, or I know them. I know of them. Yeah. yeah. I, right, or I, I know them, but I don't know them well. Yeah. And if you were to say, you know, I know them well, what would you think that means? Yeah, I think, um, I think about when you go to someone's home, you might learn something about someone you didn't know before. Maybe you didn't know they collected porcelain hippos or, you know, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> you learn things about people when you interact with them in a different way. Yeah, and when you know them well, it's like you know a little bit about maybe part of their family life, their yep. history, some of the pain they've experienced, how they'll react in a situation, the objects, like you said, and the hope they find. Yep. But the, do you ever have a situation where you think, you know, I really don't know that person very well, even though I've been around them for a long time? Mm-hmm. Or somebody you thought you knew well goes and does something and you realize, wow, I did not know them well. Yep. And why is that? Because there's something weird about people, unlike a place, in that you actually can't know them unless they reveal themselves to you. They have to be willing to share something with you. They have to be willing to be transparent. They have to be willing to open up, or you can't know them. 
And I think even more when you're dealing with somebody, like, I don't know if it's somebody in power or kind of a position which you have no access to. Like, you know, if it's some political leader, some famous person or something, you actually can't know them unless they make themselves known. I always remember when I was uh, working, I came out of college and I worked in Mellon Capital Management as a portfolio manager. That was my job. And, um, and one, uh, one night, I, was just, I decided to stay late because um, I just, you know, I can't get stuff done during the day. And I thought I'm going to be like, I'm going to get all my little stuff done. So I was there till like 9 or 10 o'clock. And when no one's there, I can get a lot done. I thought I was all alone. It turns out there was one other person in this big office, and it was the founder, the president of this company. He's actually a pretty well-known person in, in Wall Street kind of theory and stuff. He's the guy who developed indexing, if you know it, or the random walk down Wall Street, all that is. But, and he sees me, and then he, he invites me in. And I think, he doesn't even know my name. You know, and he sits down there and begins to share with me. I'm thinking, I can't believe I'm sitting down with him. And he's talking to me about his life, his kids, some of, even some of his theories. And when I walked out of there, I actually knew him in a way. I had no possibility to know him. In a sense, because I'm this lesser one, he could have known me anytime he wanted to. But I had no opportunity to know him unless he invited me in and let me know him. I think when we think about knowing God, I think that's more of an appropriate analogy to it. You know, because we actually can't know God on our own, can we? There's nothing you can do to get to know God. One who created all things, we're just this little piddly ant walking around on this uh, rock he built. How could we possibly get to know him? But that's the idea, is that he reveals himself. This is the idea of revelation. That God has intentionally desired that we would know him. So how do we do that? You know, one of the, uh, to me, I mean, one of the first ones that's probably on your mind, what's one of the first things that comes to your mind right there? Faith. Scripture, mm-hmm. right. Or, right, But um, I was saying, like, Scripture also, that God actually, that's the idea that the Bible's not a book written by a bunch of people with ideas they're sharing with one another. Hey, here's, here's some neat thoughts about God, mm-hmm. or the neat thoughts you might enjoy. It's that God has actually revealed himself that we would know him. That God wants us to know him. He wants us to understand him. You talk about like Israel, right? What was the purposes of Israel? We could talk along about that, but at its heart, God said, I'm going to interact with this nation and that you could watch that and understand what I'm like. You can understand the things that are important to me, the things I care about. You can understand the way I react when you guys do things that you shouldn't be doing. You know, you understand about forgiveness. You understand about these promises, about care. All these things God's actually revealing because he wants us to know him. That's why the Bible is such a key piece of us getting to know him, because God's intentionally given it to us. I remember, Kelly, we were talking before also about how does Jesus play into this idea of knowing God? Yeah, the, the unique uh, quality of Christianity where God actually comes to us, God with us, God in the flesh. God reveals himself to us through Jesus in, uh, in a way that we don't, there's no other way that we can see, in a unique way, for seeing God, right? You know, Jesus says to his disciples, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. And Paul calls him the, the image of the invisible God. There's something about Jesus, God on earth, God with us, that allows us to know God in a uniquely intimate kind of way. You know, and it's interesting because knowing is often in Scripture this uh, term used to describe intimacy. We talk about he knew his wife. And we know, we know God in this kind of intimate relationship. That marriage metaphor is used a lot for the relationship of the church and Christ, in that 
we are given this, um, this kind of inside knowledge of God and this uh, close, intimate, personal relationship with him through Jesus Christ and also through the Holy Spirit. When Jesus ascends and he sends his spirit, it says that the spirit isn't just sort of off here directing us, but dwelling in us, which is this very intimate kind of language about God's role and the role of the spirit in our lives. Right, and even in the covenant, that's one of the ways in which it gives us the capacity to know God. Exactly, yeah. You know, it's a, it's a means of revelation and knowing him. And I was thinking also, um, I, I, I wish I had it here. You don't have my Daniel verse, do you? I, I do. Kind of, I kind of got the wrong... It's right here. I got the wrong PowerPoint. It's close, <laughs> but it's not exactly the one I wanted. The real version's on my computer at home. Would that help anybody? Yeah. <laughs> I, I printed it out. You're welcome. Okay, yeah. good, good. <laughs> In Daniel, it says, um, with flattery, he'll corrupt those who violate the covenant, but the people who know their God will firmly resist him. It's a weird verse, and it's kind of this end times picture, but the, the principle there is critical is that they're saying the people of God will be living within a culture that is actually trying to, you know, almost uh, persuade them of things Mm -hmm. and and push them to believe things and to ask them to be subservient to it. But it says the people who know their God will actually see it for what it is and be able to resist it. This idea that when you know God, you actually see the world and act differently within it. I was even thinking we talk about the, the law, right? We talk about these... People think of the law being this rule book or how God tells us to live in a certain way. Essentially, God's giving us information as to how to live in this world and how to live with him. He says, when you walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all unrighteousness. But the idea that we actually walk with God. And that's one reason he's inviting us into, how do I live in this world? I'm in this broken body, in this broken world, with all these crazy things being told to me. How do I live? He says, here's how you do it. So this is one of the key ways in which we know him, by how we live, how we walk. Um, one of the a key verse, too, is, do you notice in the, in the passage that Luke read earlier, it says, I want to know Christ, but then he says, and the power of resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings. Does that seem like a way that you necessarily want to know Jesus better? Through suffering? No. You know, and as you mentioned, Paul was sitting in prison at this very time, and he's actually saying in many ways, you know, I've been rejected by people, I've been thrown in prison. And all this stuff has helped me to know Jesus better. And actually, I want to know him and share in his sufferings in a powerful way. And that's actually throughout Scripture, isn't it? This strange thing. We all hate suffering, and we avoid it like the plague. But then the Scripture keeps on saying that we should expect it and not despise it. But that actually, there's some unique ways in which suffering and hardship refines us. I mean, how many people here can talk about some of the hardest times in your life? Did, I mean, I don't know about you, but for me, it's the times I actually knew God the best, that I understood God, that all the actual the stuff that distracts me all the time and the stuff that I thought was important, you suddenly realize is not so important. And you start to know comfort from God in a new way, strength from God in a new way. What about when we left a year ago? Right? You notice this thing too. It says, to know the power of resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings. I actually think through what happened to us as a church, we've learned about the suffering and the power of the resurrection in a way we couldn't have any other way. You know, when we, when we were, uh, you know, being sued or being, being treated unjustly or being tossed out, I think, and then watching the way God delivered us and what he did through it, we understood something about struggle and suffering. We understood about the power of God. 
And I think it, I, I believe if we let us, I don't think it happened to everybody, but for many of us, it changed our spiritual lives forever. It changed the way how we understand God, how we think about God, and revitalized. And we'll never look at a situation the same. I think pastorally, when you sit with people and they're suffering, too, people who are sick, people who are dying, I know in my experience, those are some of the sweetest times with God and the times we feel his presence most. Yeah. Um, and we talk about other things. We can know God. In some ways, it's really the whole Christian walk, isn't it? Yeah. It's like Paul says, this is the great goal. And we can preach you know, 365 sermons that are really all about knowing, knowing Jesus and coming to know him better. You know, what does it mean to learn to be, feel his conviction in your heart? You know, to learn to confess before him, to be humble as him, to, you know, uh, desire his strength, desire his leading, to listen to hear his voice. These are all things which he invites us to know better. I just want to close on maybe back to that uh, Einstein analogy, if you could. Yeah, just thinking back to Einstein's wife, right? She doesn't understand his physics or his equations or whatever, but she knows him. So coming back to that idea that when we know God, we can, we can read biographies of Einstein, right? We can study his work, but we'll never know him in the way that his wife knew him. And we can read about God, we can know things of God, but the way we know God is entering into that kind of deep relationship with God inviting the Holy Spirit into our hearts, the Holy Spirit that drives us on towards that goal, that's still driving Paul towards that goal after decades of knowing Jesus and preaching Jesus, that he still hasn't attained that. So I think the invitation for our spiritual journey is just to be invited into that type of intimacy, you know, the type like a marriage where we pursue the things of God not just on a head level but on a heart level and on a relational level. It kind of boggles the mind, isn't it, that that's even accessible to us? Yeah. That we can actually know God like that or know Jesus like that, that that is our boast. But like Kelly said, even, even more stunning is that's the invitation of God. He goes, I've made it available to you. Pursue it. He who knocks, you know, the door will be open. He who seeks, finds. It's an amazing promise. So let's press on towards that goal. Amen? Amen. Let's take a moment in prayer. And why don't you just, uh, in a moment of quiet, why don't you just ask God to do those things for you or confess that times you don't, those times. Oh, Lord, we do want to give all of our hearts to you. We want to know you. We want to know the power of your resurrection. We want to share and the fellowship of your sufferings. Oh, Lord, evermore press it before us, Lord, to not boast in our strength or our wisdom or our riches, but to let the only thing that really matters be you in our life. Help us to have discernment as we walk in this world, to understand the things that please you. Lord, to know that you are with us always, to know that you are there when we call out to you that you never leave us nor forsake us. We praise you and thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.